Hey, this is Richard Campbell. Just a quick reminder that this show was recorded way back in early February before the pandemic had really spread. And so there's really no mention of it whatsoever. Our shows in May will include more pandemic conversation. From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 685, migrating from server 2008 to server 2019 with guest Sonia Kaff. Recorded Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Sonia Cuff, who connects in person and online with the worldwide IT community on behalf of Microsoft. As a senior cloud ops advocate on the Azure engineering team, Sonia's role is to educate, empower, and upskill communities and capture feedback on how to make Microsoft Azure even better. With over 20 years' experience in tech, from large enterprises and government to small and medium businesses, Sonia is also passionate about improving work and life for people in IT operations roles. Welcome, Sonia. Hi, thank you for having me. We've known each other for ages, and you've, this is the first time you're on the show. I am vaguely embarrassed. <laughs> Look, I am just sitting back in awe, looking at all of your different shows and picking out names of the superstars in this industry that you've had over the time and going, oh my gosh, you're going to add my name to that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would point out that I started an IT, a Microsoft IT-focused show right after Vista shipped. So I don't know how smart I actually am per se. It was a challenging time to be in IT, but yeah, the roster is pretty broad and the colors are pretty, aren't they? We got all the Metro uh, color palette out there. Absolutely. For, for run ass. So I, I put up a, I make, I make all the colored graphics for Twitter and stuff and I have an array of them and I posted a picture on Twitter the other day of look at all these rainbow of colors of the, of these different pictures. It kind of speaks to how diverse your topics and your, and your speakers are though. It's great. Yeah. It's the nature of IT too, right? Like there's not any one job anymore. We're kind of doing a lot of different things that they've never been weirder to be in IT than right now. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about that when we're talking to people that are getting into to the industry because mm-hmm. there seems to be such a focus on learning how to code. You know, my daughters are doing IT skills in school and there's a very heavy focus on coding. So, I'm very much for flying the flag that uh, there is way more to IT than just being a software developer. Sure. But, and coding, but everybody's also doing coding, right? Like, a number of times I've had that conversation about you know, yeah, you're in ops, but there's still code you've always written, whether it was in SQL or VB script or PowerShell. Like, we all write a little bit of code here and there. Kicks 32 scripts to the win. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I think it's a little bit different, though, because whenever someone says coding to me, I always think of coding to write an application. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we could turn a whole episode into just this particular debate. Um, but certainly there is capacity for 
people that work in infrastructure roles to be not only uh, familiar with tools like PowerShell, but also to get comfortable with places like GitHub. I mean, mm-hmm. GitHub scared the life out of me when I first looked at it, but now I'm getting used to having to do things like forks and pull requests and all these random things that are not my familiar place. But this is where PowerShell scripts are and where infrastructure as code is living and now where documentation is living. So one of the roles, part of my role is uh, doing a lot of online documentation, whether it's for our docs.microsoft.com or for our Microsoft Learn platform. And hey, you know, it's all markdown files and um, and GitHub repos. Yeah, yeah. It's, It's an interesting place that we've gotten to with IT that it actually makes sense to start taking those scripts we used to keep to ourselves and actually storing them in a source repository where multiple people can use them, can maintain them, can modify them. Like that's a heck of an evolution. Yeah. And dare I say it, you know, we could learn something from our software development friends on things like versioning and source control. Now you're just talking crazy talk, Ms. Cuff. Honestly. (laughs) I got, I got much more substantial problems to deal with. And one of them is that, that Microsoft went and, uh, an end of life to my 2008 servers. We did. Come on. It's 12 years old in operating system now. But it was a goodie. It really was. And that's the problem, right? Yeah. Um, And I I tell people that 2020 sounded like such a futuristic date. Yes. Like I was expecting flying cars out of my window (laughs) and this magic device that would produce my dinners and change my outfit like very Jetsons. And it's not like that at all. It's customers firing up servers that come up with the 2008 splash screen still and there is you know there's a a technical debt that strangles us when we have to keep on making our products backwards compatible for code that is that old so we have to draw a line in the sand somewhere in terms of what that support date is and the challenge for our customers is that things like server 2008 just work. Yeah. Like they sit there in the background and they do the little Active Directory domain controller and they hand out IP addresses via DHCP and mm-hmm. they just tick along and work. And so a lot of the question, there's a lot of pushback into why would I ever look at upgrading that infrastructure when it's doing what I need it to do? You haven't invented a better hammer yet. Um, you know, it, it, it's it really does take something like Microsoft putting in a date and saying, you know what, as of January the 14th, 2020, we're not releasing security patches right. for this OS anymore for free. Yeah, that's- now, there are options for that, but that's one of the big ones. Security is a big driver. So we have to kind of help you move along with the modernization of that source code that you're running those services on by going, oh, do you want it to be secure? Well, and it's interesting, virtualization must not be helping either. At least once upon a time, the hardware wore out. And it's like, really, am I going to have to build another machine and I'm going to spin up those old DVDs? No, I'll probably use something new. But VMs last forever. Yeah, they do. And we we did used to have the... um, the forcing factor of hardware aging out mm-hmm. and it being harder to get, you know, compatible RAM for the motherboards and, and that kind of thing. But you're right, put it on a newer host with, with newer hardware and here we go. Here's our 2008 server. It's like the zombie server. It just will not it's die. Just, especially when you think about sort of fundamental network roles like an Active Directory server or DHCP DNS. Like, they, yeah. What does 2019 bring to the table that I'd want to host AD there? Um. The main thing that 2019 brings to the table is it's not only easier to manage, but it's more connected into some of the cloud services that we have 
available now and that we want to roll out. Right. So a good example of that, if we're looking at something like Active Directory, is right now you can connect identity into the cloud into Azure Active Directory and then use cloud-driven features like custom band password lists to reinforce those back into your on-prem environment. So you can add an extra layer of security to your on-prem AD accounts by using this feature. Now, at the moment, I think that particular feature is backwards compatible to 2008, but that's kind of an inkling as to where we're going. And the more we want to do with that intelligence and the functions that the cloud gives us, the more we need to make sure that people are upgrading on-prem so that we can make that code compatible with newer versions of Windows Server. Because we can't keep backwards fitting everything for 2008. There is some stuff that just won't work. Yeah, and it is becoming more and more a hybrid world. And heck, 2008 predates Azure. (laughs) It certainly does. And, you know, I think it was just this last Microsoft Ignite in Orlando last year in November in 2019, Mm -hmm. where we actually got loud and clear from leadership that hybrid is, is a destination. Yeah. And in some parts of Microsoft, the messaging has come across like, well, hybrid is just the place where you stay until you are fully cloud. And those of us that have worked for a long time in IT ops roles are like, yeah, there's some workloads that we are never going to move to the cloud. And so we're kind of starting to get more and more now of this recognizing and and these features focused around the fact of, well, hang on a minute, maybe we do need to be viewing hybrid as a destination for some of our customers and architecting solutions that support them in that state. And one of the um, the biggest ways that we saw us, in essence, put our money where our mouth was, was with the announcement of Azure Arc. So Azure Arc is a single hybrid resource provider so that you can put one agent to rule them all onto a Windows server, no matter whether it's on-prem, in somebody else's data center, heck, even in somebody else's cloud. And then that machine gets surfaced in the Azure portal as a connected machine. So now I'm starting to build the Azure portal as the place where I can manage my entire environment, no matter whether they're cloud or on-prem. And that service is in preview at the moment. You can onboard a server to it and have a bit of a play with some of the Azure services. Hmm. But the list of Azure services that will uh, support that Azure Arc connectivity are just going to grow and grow as that product becomes generally available. So that that was a really a real eye-opener you know, for us to see Microsoft say, hey, Um, not only do we see hybrid as being a valid state, but we are committed to providing you with tooling to help you manage your environment, including those on-prem servers that you still may need to keep. Right. So they're not just lesser cousins waiting to migrate to the cloud. They're full-fledged members of the system. They work exactly the same way, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud. Doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Yeah, that's right. And it's more about being able to enforce things like configuration and policy and that kind of thing. You don't want to have to do that in two different places in two different ways with sure. your servers on-prem or on, on the cloud. So it's about um, being able to get consistency across your resources, being able to, to monitor and back up and manage those servers in a, in a consistent method. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I totally get that. It's interesting to see this progression. I, I, you know, I also often talking to folks who are saying, well, one part of Microsoft said it this way and one part of Microsoft said it that way. It's like, it's a big organization. They don't always agree on all things. So don't be surprised if there's some differences. 
Yeah, look, I had this conversation come up when I was talking to some chief information security officers and we were talking about some of the security capabilities in Microsoft 365 Mm -hmm. and the information protection tools. And, you know, they, they came up with exactly the same thing about why isn't there one place where I can manage my security? And to start with, security is a very complex topic for such a little word. Um, And in terms of actually sitting down and planning out all these different attack places and and the risks that you have across so many different things. But I stepped in and I said, look, there's kind of two things that are making that easier. Um, One is the fact that with the cloud, it is easier for us to connect our products together and Mm -hmm. to get intelligence from one product and surface it in another place and give us things like Microsoft Secure Score, which goes across more than one product. Now that we've got those products out of sitting behind your firewall in your environment and we've got a bit more visibility of them, we can start doing some intelligence on those metrics and um, and those logs and that kind of thing and actually surfacing you some, some better information across more than one product. But the other challenge is Microsoft is a very big company with a very long history yeah. and it takes a little while to turn around a big ship. For sure. Um, we've, we've seen a number of changes with Satya's leadership. We certainly have broken down a lot of silos that we used to have between products, but we're not perfect yet. And we still have a way to go in terms of, um, you know, product silos and people silos and that interoperability between the products. But we're getting there. That's mm-hmm. the that's definitely on everybody's mind as the, the destination that, uh, that Microsoft is heading in. So we'll just keep making it better as we go. You know, you talked a bit about Microsoft Arc there. And I'm wondering, would I be managing 2008 servers with this? Or is that another reason to get migrating? Yeah, so you can connect 2008 servers with Azure Arc. There mm-hmm. may be a limit into some Azure services of what you can and can't do with those. I'm not quite sure where the compatibility lines are drawn. Azure Arc itself as a hybrid resource provider agent, I'm pretty sure is compatible with 2008, but some of the Azure services may or may not be compatible on those services. I'm just not sure where the lines are drawn. Uh, So, I also was reading that there is an offer to a, uh, now that if you need to continue to support, you could move those uh, 2008 machines into the into Azure for a fee, and they'll uh, they'll they'll continue maintenance with them, sort of extended support. Sure. So when you have a look at what your options are with end of support, you can move those server 2008 boxes up to Azure as a as a VM and use that infrastructure as a service. If you're going to do that for a 2008 server, we will continue to patch them with security patches um, for another couple of years. I think it might be, I'm just trying to see if I've got it. I think it's another three years. It's three, yeah. Of sec- yeah, three years of security patching because it's in our Azure cloud at no extra cost to you. So this is a thing. Leave it on-prem. It's either not going to get any security patches or you can talk to your account manager about a fee to pay to get on-prem patching still mm-hmm. for those servers. If you absolutely have those critical needs with connected machinery, you know, that kind of legacy kit, um, or move it up to Azure as a virtual machine hosted in IaaS, and we will continue to add security patches to it for another three years at no extra cost to the cost of running the VM. The reason we need to do that is because, one, it's going to buy you a little bit more time, and I don't – want to see people leave it another three years before they finally do their migration strategy. But as soon as we have those code bases in our cloud fabric, 
we need to make sure that they're patched and protected and as secure as sure. they can be as well. So it's in our best interest yeah. to uh, to not have servers in our cloud fabric that are not getting security patches. That would not be a good thing for our overall security posture. But if I, the only scenario I could see where that would make sense is that I have an application that is somehow uniquely bound to 2008, or I'm just not willing to do the work for whatever reason to, you know, test it onto new um uh, operating systems, so I push it VM whole up at least for now. Yeah, bingo, and and you hit the nail on the head because the most one of the most popular reasons for for doing that is that application compatibility. It's right. the line of business applications that aren't being upgraded by yeah. the software vendors. Yeah, and so you know now you've got another uh, window here to migrate off of that because eventually it's going to expire too. But that initial story we were talking about at the beginning of the show about Active Directory, DHCP, DNS, and stuff like that that can all just be put on different versions of the OS. You just have to take some time to do it. Yeah, that's right. And it's, look, it's I understand why it's tricky and it's complicated. Um, there are not many customers that have a full copy of their production Active Directory as a test environment yeah. that they can go and try this upgrade. When you're doing an upgrade to Active Directory, you are doing it in production. Yes. And when Active Directory goes wrong, it doesn't just go wrong a little bit. <laughs> it <laughs> fails spectacularly. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're looking at how you recover you know, that this Active Directory forest and, and issues in your schema and, yeah, that can be um, not quite so much fun. And so one of the recent talks that I delivered at Microsoft Ignite the Tour, and we can put a link to the recording of this in the show notes, sure. steps you through how to upgrade Active Directory and um, DHCP and how to move across file shares. We haven't talked about file shares, but I'll park those for a second. Yeah. But AD in particular, we have a fairly simple step-by-step process of building a new server 2019 machine, adding that to the domain and making it a domain controller, moving across all the FSMO roles to that machine, and then shutting down your old domain controllers. And then once your old domain controllers are completely removed from your environment, upgrading your functional levels right. of Active Directory. So there is a, a nice process to do it. The great thing about the talk I deliver is there is a demo recording. So as well as links to the full documentation at docs.microsoft.com, you can actually watch as we do it um, and cut out all the boring waiting bits because I tell you, that process takes a significant amount of time when you're talking about copying across AD stuff from one server to another, for example. But there's a great little video recording there for you to be able to play it and, and watch all those steps, both for Active Directory and for DHCP. Nice. I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. You've got on-prem domain controllers, 2008, 2012, 2016, and 2019 which means like millions of other organizations, you've got Active Directory and Group Policy to manage your desktops. But let me guess, you have the too many GPOs problem. With Policy Pack, you can both supercharge your Group Policy Management and also merge GPOs to reduce your Group Policy footprint. If you want less GPOs to manage and faster login times, plus completely eliminate Group Policy loopback, you're going to flip out once you start using Policy Pack. Come to policypack.com and get started with your free trial today. Policy Pack, securing your standards. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Sonia Cuff. We're talking a bit about migrating up from 2008 to 2019, the current server versions. And yeah, I of course, the 
you don't ever upgrade anything anymore, right? I'm not actually going to go into a 2008 server and spin 2019 media onto it. I would think you're just going to build a new VM and move the workload over. Look, I, I wouldn't do that with my own PC, let alone doing server infrastructure yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like an almost an obsolete concept, especially when we talk about something like Active Directory. Like in-place upgrade of Active Directory sounds like just stick a gun in your head. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> when, it's, when it's just a VM and it's temporary, like none of these things have licensing conflicts or anything, you can try it. The only thing that you can't get back from is upgrading the forest, but you can't do that until, or upgrading the functional level, but you can't do that until the old things are, are, are 80 deployed back out again. Yeah, that's correct. And I, I don't understand why people get so hung up on wanting to do in-place upgrades. I mean, maybe it's a hardware limitation, but certainly the method that we described in terms of building new and, and shifting everything over provides a lot better business continuity mm-hmm. um, and a lot easier rollback if it fails than, than in-place upgrades. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not quite a fan of, of the in-place upgrades. No, especially in a virtual world. Like, it's just not a big deal. I could also see, well, let's talk about this. What about not raising the functional level? When you after you get your 2019 set up, so you start retiring those 2008 services, you no longer dependent on them. But if you're afraid, is there any risk to a functional level upgrade increase? Um, there's there's not really any risk. What the raising the functional levels does is it turns on newer capabilities that weren't backwards compatible. Right. And so if there's something that we've released that you can do in Active Directory, like the recycle bin, when the re- recycle bin came out for AD, mm-hmm. so that you could restore deleted user accounts, which you couldn't before, literally when they were deleted, they were gone. That had some backwards compatible limitations, which means that it could only be turned on if you were running a more current functional level and you weren't having to worry about um, like Windows 2000 servers, um, for example, back in the day. Right. So that, that's that's the only catch. It means that if you don't raise those functional levels, you're going to be missing out on features that have been hamstrung because they wouldn't work on those older versions. And, and arguably will make your life substantially easier. Like having a, 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 a recovery bin for accident-deleted stuff in, in AD, how many people have done that? Yeah, that's right. There's some good new stuff in there. Yeah. So the other thing that, uh, that we mentioned briefly was those file shares. Because yeah. that's the other big on-prem thing we see is is that good old server that sits in the corner that has its F drive and its G drive and its S drive and mm-hmm. whatever else. Bob, an accounting user, when he fires up Excel and goes to his recently used list and gets into his spreadsheets. And that is also a slightly scary one because of the time and effort to migrate those files across, but also making sure that the experience for the end users is as uh, least disruptive as possible. Bob just wants to be able to walk into the office on Monday morning and get back into his Excel spreadsheets. And so the other part of the talk is how you move those files across. And there are a couple of new capabilities that I want to encourage people to go and check out. One of them is the Windows Admin Center. A Windows Admin Center has a whole story around it itself, but Windows Admin Center is the new place where you can manage your server capabilities without having to remotely connect to the individual servers. And we are so invested in Windows Admin Center that if we're releasing a new management capability for a server, you won't be getting an updated 
Microsoft Management Console inside Windows Server. These new capabilities for management tools will be lighting up only inside Windows Admin Center. So if you hmm. haven't taken a look at it now, it's a good time to download it. It needs to be installed on either a Windows machine or a server, and then it's all browser-based to be able to see all your different servers and get into the things that you would normally get into on, on a server, whether that's looking at the DHCP scope or, in this case, looking at the files. And so, one of the things that we've built into Windows Admin Center is Storage Migration Service. And Storage Migration Service, when I before I looked at it, I'm like, okay, so you're going to give me a way to copy files from one place to another. Like, yeah. that's fine. Can I can I do that already? Right? Yeah, it's like XCopy only with a GUI. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you look at it and you go, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> so. With Storage Migration Service, you point it at your existing server with your files, your source server, and then it will interrogate all of the files on that box, all of the shares, the permissions on the files, the share permissions, and give you a nice little list. Then you tell it what your destination server is going to be. So this is great for moving those files off a 2008 box onto a 2019, make 2019 your destination box, and it will interrogate that and it will show you all of the disk structure and the partitions and let you set up the partitions where you want to put those new files across. And then you do a tick box to say, okay, I want to move all of those files and those shares. I just want to move some of them. What do you want to do? Validates them both. And it handles not only the copy of the files, but it makes sure that all the file permissions and all the share permissions are correct if, and this is shown in my video, which is quite hilarious, if someone has randomly decided to set up some local users or groups that right. are tied into those share permissions or those file permissions, it will create those new local servers, uh, local users and local groups on the new destination server. And then if that magic wasn't enough, you can then let it handle the cutover process for you. Wow. And the cutover, the cutover process will do a delta check to make sure that there's no changes that it needs to copy across since the last sync. And then it will rename the old box to be something.old, right. rename the new box to have the new identity of the destination server and change the networking settings for you. Wow. <laughs> now, but there's also an opportunity here to sort of rethink your file storage too, right? Like there, there's so many new file storage technologies in, in the latest versions of Windows. Yeah, absolutely there is. Um, but th th this is kind of the mind-blowing thing. For it to actually handle giving the destination server now the identity of the old box, Bob and Accounting rocks up on Monday morning, goes into Excel, goes to open the spreadsheet, and it's connecting to what it thinks is exactly the same place that it was on Friday. It has no idea it's now on a server 2019 box. Right. And, and so it's just not a big deal to do that. No, not a big deal at all. It's a, it's a, it's a really mind blowing little tool. It's something that's that's simple and it just works, but it has so much power built into it of things that we would have to have done manually before. So yeah, it's about making making life a little easier for IT ops. And I did, uh, I did a show. Six forty six was the episode back in July of twenty nineteen with Haley Rowland. We were talking about Windows Admin Center at the time, but it was quite a bit newer then too. Uh, I like the idea of installing Windows Admin Center 
and getting used to it with your existing infrastructure before you even start start taking around with migration, like actually letting getting it uh, be a comfortable management tool for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're so used to RDPing to the server. RDP to, to all things. Settings. I know. To change settings or um, to look at log files or, you know, it, it's the place we go. And one of the interesting things about it is when we we often do that when the server's got a problem, yeah. right? And so, I have many fond memories of RDPing to the server and then fighting with the GUI because the server's not performing. Yeah, it's in trouble already. And I'm already. having to wrestle to bring up task manager or bring up the log entry so I can start to get some inkling of what the heck is going on on this machine. And so Windows Admin Center bypasses all of that because now you've got access into, you've literally got access into the processes that are running and you can kill processes yeah. with Admin Center. You can get into the event logs. You can get into device manager and rollback drivers on the devices if you need to. There are so many things that we're used to doing via RDP on the server that you can now do through Windows Admin Center. And so absolutely there is scope to have a play with it now just over the normal course of managing and troubleshooting your existing servers and see just how much of that functionality you can replace and, and say goodbye to RDP. Yeah, well, and RDP seems to be coming a significant security risk as well. I did a show with Michael Nystrom a while back. We were talking about how, you know, they hackers are now breaking into workstations and positioning themselves so that when the min comes with RDP and those super credentials, they can take advantage of them. RDP comes with risks. You invariably show up with a high security account when you use it. And who knows, you know, what could be on that machine that it's going to exploit where this Windows admin approach where you really are in a limited set of uh, uh, specific capabilities with limited privileges, it, it avoids all those problems. Yeah, absolutely. All you need to do is put a virtual machine up into the cloud and turn on logging and leave the RDP port open to see how quickly it'll start getting attacked. On, Constantly on hammered port. on RDP. So, yeah, this it's interesting and maybe it's an overarching story for us as we modernize this infrastructure. It's like, what, how many days can we go without using RDP? <laughs> I want to see a counter in someone's office. It's a good one, right? <laughs> Ten days without RDP. Without RDP. Um, yeah, and so we've extended that in the cloud by adding on a new feature for our virtual machines that are in Azure called Azure Bastion. And so with Azure Bastion, it's a way of creating a connection to the server GUI in the browser mm -hmm. using the Azure portal and a Bastion host, which means that you can still um, create that RDP-like experience, but leave the RDP port turned off. Interesting. So you love your RDP, you like that sense that you're on the machine, but you just want to get away from that vulnerability. Absolutely. So with a virtual machine inside Azure, um, you can leave that RDP port turned off, know that it's not open to that that risk and attacks, mm -hmm. and use, a, use Azure Bastion and a Bastion host to create that connection via a browser tab and still have full access just like you are RDPing the server. Yeah. Although still, I think this overarching idea of let's leave RDP behind, you know, just like leaving SMB1 behind. Like these are older technologies we got super used to, they have vulnerabilities and there are better ways to do things now. Yeah. And a lot of that, you know, there's the, 
the mashup of Microsoft creating the new tool and the new capability to do that and then having to get out of your comfort zone a little yeah. bit in terms of how you're used to doing things. Because especially people that have been around the industry for a long time, we all have our habits and our, our ways that we do things. And it takes a little bit of getting out of your comfort zone to, to learn a new tool, whether that's Windows Admin Center or even PowerShell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely. There are things, still more things to learn along the way here. So it, it's interesting to think about the pro, the, not just migrating those 2008 machines to 2019, but bringing a few of these tools in like Win Admin Center and, and getting a feel for those before you get into the migration. Plus, and I, I appreciate this because we've talked about migration before. Like these new migration wizards are epically good. Like they just make your life so much easier. Your risk goes down. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we've we've learned over time as we've seen customers walk through these challenges and the more we can put it into our products and, and improve the tools to help you do that, the better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I appreciate, you know, there's a price to being a first mover, which is generally the tools are a little rough, but you get there first. But for those who've taken their time, you know, like 12 years have gone by, you've smoothed out the tools. Like you've made it pretty easy for us to move those things now. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It's a good trade. So, what's next for you, Sonia? Where can we find you? Uh, pl- resources we should be looking at. I got to find that link to your the upgrade video. That should be great. Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure I provide that to you mm-hmm. for the show notes. I'm on Twitter at Sonia Cuff. Um, my team actually has a really good blog. So if you go to itopstalk.com, that'll redirect you to our space inside Microsoft's tech community where my team blog about Windows Server and Azure and all things ops related. So um, would love to see people jumping in into the comments, into those blog articles. Contact me and tell me if there's something pressing on your mind that we haven't covered that you'd like to see written up as a blog article. Um, and I'm quite often at conferences. I'm currently traveling with Microsoft Ignite the tour and I'll be in Orlando at the end of this year. They're not as much at the end of the year as normally is because our new Ignite show this year is going to be in September in New Orleans right. instead of the normal November. So, yeah, that's, it's a bit of a shock to the yeah. system. But, so, um, yeah, yeah no, I will, will certainly be at the big show and traveling around with some of the Ignite the Tour stops around our 30 cities globally. We did a couple of tech ads in New Orleans, and uh, the conference center is along the river, which is cool, but it makes it long. Like, you thought you did a lot of walk in Orlando. Wait till you walk in New Orleans. And then, also, New Orleans. So... It's its own it's its own crazy fun place to go. It's an experience. I'm looking forward to it. I think we'll have a great time. Yeah, I've never been before, so I'm super excited. I've heard lots of stories about how a great little conference town it is. And, you know, after doing not only a few years in Orlando, but uh, every second conference I do is in Las Vegas. Um, yes. I'm really looking forward to the change of scenery. Something different, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is when you have 25,000 people showing up, there's only a few places in, in North America that can take it. Right. It's yeah, that's right. L.A., Orlando, uh, or uh, Las Vegas, Orlando, uh, uh, um, Atlanta, and uh, and New Orleans. I think that's about it. Yeah. Oh well, we'll try. We'll keep trying them on. We've done them all. <laughs> Sonia, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.